High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome and break out the yellow plaid, whether you're new kids in town or the fashionista, all students of Bronson Alcott High School. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, school's still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment. And I would like to see the results. So what'd you think of Monday's episode on Nowhere? I thought Galen Howard was awesome. I thought Mike Mancy was awesome, as always. What an interesting film. Greg Araki, again, he's a director I definitely want to explore more of. Not a very mainstream film, but someone on uh, our social media. By the way, you can follow us on social media. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. High School Slumber Party, but someone on our social media told me that it's actually on YouTube now, so if you weren't able to do that part of your homework, you can do that part of your homework now. Supposedly, check out YouTube, look for Nowhere. It's not a very mainstream film, obviously, but it's a film worth watching if you're kind of into this weird indie stuff. Uh, The cover of the DVD that I borrowed from Mike Manzi says something along the lines, or it might be the poster, but it says something along the lines of uh, Beverly Hills 90210 on acid. Yup. Well, let's go from a movie that's not mainstream that takes place in L.A. to a movie that's very mainstream that takes place in L.A. And it's a classic. We're talking Clueless today. Clueless, one of the hits, one of the big ones, one that you guys have been asking for, one that you guys have been waiting for, and I can't wait till you hear our episode on it. We have today the resident Clueless expert of the Cage Club Podcast Network, Someone we haven't heard from in a while, but someone we all love having on High School Slumber Party. That's Caragale O'Regan. She's going to get a new title today, by the way. You want to stay tuned to the end for that. Oh my god, can't wait for you to hear this episode. So excited, Clueless. I have everything in yellow plaid right now. I am head to toe, every layer in yellow plaid. I love it. Clueless, whatever, as if I'm into it. Some other bits of homework that you need to remember every week. Of course, wherever you're listening to us right now, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, hit that subscribe button. By the way, Stitcher hasn't been behaving lately. It hasn't been uploading the episodes that fast, so apologies if there's any episode upload delays. It's not something that really we can work on, but hopefully they're working. God damn it. The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. Anyway. Hopefully Stitcher and whoever else is involved will get their act together and post the episodes when I want them to post. (laughs) Where was I? Oh, if you're on one of these apps listening, please hit that subscribe button. Give us a review, if applicable. Give us a five-star rating, if applicable. All these things help the algorithm that makes High School Slumber Party 
more popular. We want to be the most popular kid in school. I'm not going to deny that. Yes, I do this for the free price of zero dollars and zero cents. Yes, I do this twice weekly despite my health and my sleep schedule. But I don't care. I love it. I'm going to keep going. And it's because of listeners like you. So thank you so much. Also, tell a friend. Why haven't you told a friend about High School Slumber Party? This place is awesome. They should know about it too. Anyway, anyway, anyway. One more thing I want to remind you of. I keep forgetting to remind you of this. The ballot. The ballot for... Cousin Pumpkin's Goofy Movie Tattoo is still open. I'm going to be reposting the links, but the ballot is going to end on Tuesday. And you're going to find out this Friday, this Friday actually, what his tattoo will be officially. Remember, this is the second ballot. This is the runoff ballot. We are deciding between Max's Powerline and Leaning Tower of Cheese, a guy. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to our Goofy Movie episode. Listen to our 100th episode. I mentioned it a bunch, but yeah, listen to that Goofy Movie episode. You'll find out. Pretty much, my cousin is going to get tattooed for you slumberers. That's all you need to know. But I can't keep you any longer because we're talking a big one. We're talking Clueless. So pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother you're sleeping over Brian's because we're about to get our party on. I leave you with The Muffs. Kids in America. Class dismissed. Looking out a dirty old window Outside the cars in the city go rushing by I sit here alone and I wonder why Friday night and everyone's moving I can feel the heat but it's Kara, it's been a while. I'm happy to have you on, especially for this episode. But how you been? Um, well, it has been a while, and uh, things are weird. Uh, but I'm alive, and you know, there's that. So that's how I've been. How about you? You know, it's 2020 when how you've been is like a loaded question all of a sudden. <laughs> you know, it's not just yeah, like a formality. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, obviously, been. A while since you've been on, and a lot has happened in the world since you've been on, but I'm happy to report that we are talking about one of the great high school films today, and hopefully hopefully it's a nice respite from everything else going on, because really today is. we're talking Clueless. Hell yeah, my very favorite movie of all time. Glad to hear it. I'm glad that sentiment hasn't changed. Have you, I think you've had at least two episodes on Clueless on the Cage Club Podcast Network, that's correct? Yeah, we did one on Wistful Thinking several years ago, and then, wow, I guess it's like almost two years ago now, or maybe one year. I don't know. What is time? Um, (laughs) My co-host season on Cinemakers, we covered the films of Amy Heckerling, which of course includes Clueless, so we did a whole episode on that. I read a whole book about it. It was wonderful, and I was so, I haven't watched it since, and I actually was like, nervous i was like oh no what if i don't still love it this much what if i'm all clueless out but i wasn't at all and it's still just like 
such a balm for the soul. Glad to hear it. Since it has been a while and I don't want to forget, do you remember how to introduce yourself on High School Slumber Party? Vaguely. Can you give me <laughs> a reef? Can I copy your homework, please? Yes, you may. You may. Uh, just say your name, high school, high school team name, whatever else. Right. So I'm Caragale O'Regan, class of 2005, graduated from Lakeland Regional High School in Wanaku, New Jersey. Go Lancers. Go Lancers. So we've been trying to get this clueless episode for a little bit. You know, life's been getting in the way, but it's definitely something, obviously, I've wanted to do for this podcast, but I wanted to wait for you because you are the preeminent clueless expert of the Cage Club Podcast Network, and uh, I'm really excited for this episode. But I actually watched it like two or three times since <laughs> since we first started, you know, scheduling this episode. Oh, wow. And honestly, like, so I think I was really hyped for it the first time I'd seen it in a while, mm-hmm. and I don't think that's a good way to watch it. So I, Interesting. I, not that I hated it or anything like that, but I don't know. But then like these rewatches, I've loved it so much more. I think, I don't know what it is, but like now I'm noticing a lot of the nuance of the oh. film. And I, I think that's what the issue was. Yeah. I mean, and there's so much there. Like you can look at it from any angle. Like I said on Cinemakers, we could do an episode just on different like different things like I could do a whole episode about the costumes I could do a whole episode about the lighting you know and there's so much to see and one of the things that I learned doing Cinemakers watching all of those Amy Heckerling movies and which I really enjoyed watching this time around when I watched Clueless is just like the background shit like what's going on in the background her extras are always great they're dressed just as well as everyone else and just as interestingly everyone's doing interesting things the sets are incredible it's just like a real it's a real feast for the senses and like you can choose choose your own adventure and like how to experience this movie in almost any way except maybe being really hyped for it is a good way. <laughs> the, the problem with me was like I was taking so much, so many notes, mm. and I missed so much while taking these notes. And yeah, that was just it's just a dumb way to watch. That's not the kind of movie this is, because like you said, there is so much going on in the background, and there is so. Uh, it's weird. Like I know you can't smell a movie. <laughs> I know that they tried to come out with smell vision at one point, but. <laughs> but you're right. Every other sense that like you can react to in a movie, it's there for you. And there's just, like you said, so much going on in the background. I, I love it. So let's talk about some of the minutia, some of the nitty gritty, if you will, on Clueless. And feel free to chime in whenever you'd like on something you know. I don't want to make this just like an overload of information. You've mm-hmm. probably all seen this movie. So there's not too much of that. But again, and I'm also reading, like, I'm doing half-ass internet research. So if you're like, no, Brian, well, I read the book, and that's actually false. Feel free to cut me off. Well, we'll see how much my brain remembers. I mean, I don't even, who knows? Who knows what's in there right now? (laughs) Okay, so every week I do read the back of the DVD, and here goes. This is a, I I tried to find a picture of an original one, because I don't like the newer editions where it's like, Clueless for the first time in in Blu-ray, and then it, like, doesn't say much i like yeah it i have cool the stuff. oh god i wish i could see it from here but i can't make oh yes i have the clueless whatever edition which i think was a 10 year anniversary edition so i love i i almost never watch dvds anymore and i put this one in and it's like 
I love old DVDs because they're little time capsules of whatever was happening at that time. So there, there were trailers for like an airplane re-release and <laughs> season one of Laguna Beach on DVD that has like two hours of extras. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Yeah. DVDs are great. Like, I got rid of a lot of them. They kind of take up a lot of space. Yeah. You know, our buddy Joey Lewandowski, his whole home is pretty much decorated in DVDs. (laughs) I did keep a lot of my high school movies. You know, often they get used as coasters in my home. But (laughs) but, uh, I love popping in a DVD and even seeing the menu, especially like, Mm. Mm -hmm. not early, early DVDs, but like there was an era of DVD when they really cared about what the menu looked like. And I just love that. Yeah, I love it. A lost art. So here's the back of this Clueless DVD. This is one of the original DVD releases. It just kind of has that famous poster in the front. Nothing crazy, but here we go. Shot by David LaChapelle, who a friend of mine no longer works for, but she told me a story recently about how they were doing, I guess it must have been like coming up for the 25th anniversary of Clueless. They were like trying to find an original version of the poster and they didn't have one in their archives. So she had to like go out and buy one at a store. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) See, this is why you're on this episode. (laughs) You're not going to get nuggets like that except for here, or maybe Cinemakers, but whatever. (laughs) Um, Okay, so it's not easy being the most popular and glamorous girl at Beverly Hills High, especially when you're the envy of scheming Bettys, and in parentheses, female babes, persistent Barneys, parentheses, unattractive guys, and (laughs) teachers who go postal, parentheses, freak out. I love that. (laughs) <laughs> when you turn your homework in late, oh, sorry, you know, read that as a sentence, guys. Um, Get some. Can I editorialize? <laughs> yes, please. Or do you want yes, me to please. finish? They don't go to Beverly Hills High. They go to Bronson Alcott High School. Oh, yeah. Good call. That, and that's like a, it's mentioned a lot. It's a really big part of it. Who, who the, <laughs> I, again, I love when you find nuggets on the DVD yeah. like that. That's so silly. Okay, where was I? Oh. Yet somehow 15-year-old Cher keeps it all together, even finding time for extracurricular projects like finding a love match for her debate class teacher and giving a dowdy friend a fashion makeover. But Cher's but tidy world starts to unravel with the sudden appearance of two total Baldwins, a sexy, stylish new classmate, and Cher's square but cute, quote-unquote, ex-stepbrother. <laughs> wrote this it's <laughs> so bad i love it <laughs> square what what year is this now Cher is about to learn that when it comes to love she's well clueless so there wow. we go <laughs> i really wish that person had seen the movie before they wrote that <laughs> That's the best part of these. They write them before they see the movie. Sometimes, you know, uh, for podcasting, like we post our own shit now. But before Joey was like, send in your write up. And I'm like, I didn't I'm not finished editing. And he's like, just send the write up. And I, and I could never do it. Even if I recorded like a couple days ago, I couldn't really remember what the yeah. essence of the conversation was. So I always like to do it after. But whenever I tried to do it before, it always wound up something like this. So, yes, Kara, <laughs> to your point, watch the movie before you write these. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like in a cramped space. So if I take a little time, it's just because I'm moving. My <laughs> take all the time you need. Yeah, I should provide context to the audience on that. Um, I'm currently in a closet. Make all your dated anti-LGBT humor jokes you want. But that's wrong. Anyway, but I'm still in the closet here because 
My upstairs neighbor decided to play what I'll just call club hits for the past <laughs> two hours very, very loud, and I could not find a place in the house where I couldn't hear it over the microphone. I hope you guys can't hear it, but if you can, I apologize. I literally just took stuff out of my closet, put a little table in, put my computer in, and closed the door behind me. It's very hot, but whatever. We're talking clueless. It's appropriate because like, I'm surrounded by my fashion. It's not as good as Cher's fashion, but I feel oh, like I'm in the universe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not on purpose, but. <laughs> so I know that you said that we weren't going to get too much into the nitty gritty, but I have so many facts in my brain and I just have to let this one out, which is that Amy Heckerling invented the fashion app. Thing You're referring that Cher's to, yeah. Using on her computer at the beginning of the movie to pick out her outfits. That was, that was. Amy Heckerling's idea, and she essentially, you know, invented the fashion app. So cool. That's so cool today, but I could imagine if you were a teen when oh this film God. came out, how oh, it blew cool my mind. it is. Absolutely blew my mind. <laughs> still want one of those, but more importantly, still want somebody to put all of my clothes on hangers for me and then hang them up because I have a hard time with that. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. Uh, it took me a while to get my closet to even a position where one day I could take stuff out and put put stuff in. So proud of that accomplishment over the quarantine period. But yeah, I mean, again, like I said, you're, you're the boss of Clueless on this network. Interject whenever you'd like. Okay, so we keep saying her name, Amy Heckerling. We talked about her on this show for Fast Times, but of course, a future high school slumber party Hall of Famer indeed. Clueless, probably, I'm not going to say probably, definitely her masterpiece. I mean, because like, Obviously, she's she made Fast Times from a probably what was going to be like a raunchy 80s comedy to something with a lot of heart. Oh, it's so good. That was her first feature, too. Which is amazing to think Mm -hmm. about. But when you look absolutely it it, like it shouldn't be as good as it is, but (laughs) but it is. And but it's something where as Cameron Crowe kind of developed a career, I think he got like. You know, I'm not saying. I mean, he wrote the book. Obviously, he wrote the screenplay, but he definitely gets 50, 50, 50 credit for Fast Times. So it's nice. Like this is all Amy Heckerling in terms of vision and mm-hmm. what it is. So I would say that this is more of her masterpiece because this is more. You know, it's something that it's timeless today. I, I'm surprised. Like not everyone is a Clueless fan, which is weird to me. Well, they're but... just wrong. It's <laughs> <laughs> but. I can't uh, just like gush enough over just how this is this is one of the rare high school films that builds a world. Mm-hmm. So obviously you're a big fan of Amy Heckerling. You did the Cinemakers season on her. Um, do you think this is her best film? I think it is her best, but her most recent, hopefully not her last, although it's been quite a while since it came out. I think it came out in 2012. Um, is a movie, it's a little movie called Vamps that I don't even think ever got distribution, but it also stars Alicia Silverstone and co-stars Kristen Ritter, and they are vampires. And it's really, it really feels like her magnum opus because there are so many themes throughout her films and things like dream sequences and like all of these other little elements and uh, just she brings them all together in vamps in a way that like really feels like like it kind of seems like she knew that this might be her last movie so she was like I'm putting it all in there and it's it's so sweet and good and wonderful and it makes me 
weep like a baby every single time I watch it. And so few people have seen it. So Clueless, for sure the best. But if you really want to see all of Amy Heckerling and her glory on a very low budget, um, Vamps is is kind of where it's at for me. Awesome. I mean, I've heard you wax poetic about it, and I haven't seen it yet, but definitely, definitely going to check Vamps out. Um, so this is what I got from the half-ass internet research. So again, feel free, feel free to correct me, but she was approached by uh, the studio like, hey, make a movie about teenagers. And she kind of like wrote this thing and then I think later realized it was like the character was similar to Emma and then kind of retroactively adapted a lot of Jane Austen's Emma, of course, mm-hmm. I'm talking about. Um, I think that's how the story went, but I haven't read Emma, so I, I don't know how similar it is to Emma. Like the Emma I know is clueless. Yeah, same. I'm not a big Jane Austen head. Yeah, I think it's something like that, or she had like reread Emma and then, you know, but it was not, it, it's people talk about it as if it's like this direct adaptation of it into the movie. Um, and it, that's really, from my understanding, not the case. It's like very loosely kind of pulled together. Like the story structure, I think is similar, but it's really like an original film and she she had later said that she regretted telling people that she was thinking about Emma when she was putting this together oh, wow. um because she wound up being nominated for like best adapted screenplay I think when it really should have been best original oh man that stinks I mean I mean again at the end of the day whatever but like yeah that that's a good point because I always hear Emma this Emma that but like I don't know <laughs> Emma so that's definitely helpful to know yeah when we talk about this cast too I mean, you said her before, Alicia Silverstone, awesome. And that's one thing that I guess I just didn't appreciate when I watched this movie as a kid, how good she is at playing Cher. captivating. Like, you almost can't take your eyes off her. And she's in almost every single shot of this movie. She was only, like, 19 at the time. And the thing that is... As somebody who's sick a lot, this is, like, amazing to me that she was, like, super sick the whole time they were shooting. Oh, really? And she would take these little micro naps between shots where she would be, like, fully asleep and, like, snap awake and just, like, do, you know, these incredible, (laughs) incredible takes. Because she just embodied, like, she inhabits this character in such a believable way that just makes you love her so much. And she's just so good in this. Something I recognized on this watch was like it just it sounds weird, but I think you're gonna know what I'm saying. Like just how good her face is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like in every in every shot, like she doesn't even have to be like the character who's speaking, and her face is just share the entire time. She doesn't take a take off. I'm I'm surprised to learn that she was that sick. Yeah, she was coming off. Of, I think she did like five movies in a row right before this, so she was like extremely worn down, and it's just like incredible. That she could summon what she managed to do in this movie. Because it's just, like you said, her face is just like her reactions, her, even just like the way she says things that, <laughs> that just like live in my bones. And she was like hot off a couple of like Aerosmith videos as well. Mm-hmm. But I guess, again, another thing I didn't realize at the time is something you mentioned, just how young she was mm-hmm. at 19. And to just be in charge of this entire film, this entire world, really. And another thing that just struck me on this watch was just how many characters there are, characters who are given 
background and stories mm-hmm. and and that's and they're not like something... actual people yeah and it's not something we see a lot in like <laughs> teen films so that's super interesting just gonna run through the cast quickly stacy dash played dion the Who's, oldest she's incredible in this she's really great too it's just amazing and she was actually 29 which mm-hmm. is to be 10 years different from alicia silverstone and like i didn't notice as a kid i didn't notice now so just yeah. love that she's in a later heckerling film called i could never be your woman I, I think that was the movie that she made right before vamps and I don't know. It's very complicated to explain. But in that, Stacey Dash actually plays like a, an actress on a teen show who is playing, you know, a teenager, even though by that point she's like almost 40. Oh, wow. That's great. <laughs> yeah. And she has a great line that I wish I could remember right now about like how she was she was a teenager before any of these other girls. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you should write the book, like, the later career of Amy Heckerling or something. Cause... Yeah, I mean, it's it's very interesting. She ran into so many of the Hollywood roadblocks that women directors face and still managed to make some really interesting, albeit under-recognized work. Off Clueless, she should have gotten, like, ten free big budget projects. I know. Yeah. I mean, she really had a lot of cachet after Clueless. And so she was kind of waiting for the right project. And, and she wound up making this movie called Loser, which did not go great. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's Jason and then, Biggs and Mina Savari, right? Yeah. 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 I, and I that was that a mess too. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not good, but it's not Amy Hackerling's fault. <laughs> but that then, you know, kind of determined how her subsequent films would be funded and marketed and et cetera. Oh, it's, it's a shame again. Like, so loser didn't go well, whatever. It's like, this is the person who made clueless. Uh, hello. Right. And like how many shitty movies do men get to make before they don't let them make movies anymore? See our or conversation. Like, don't give on... them opportunities anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. I was going to say, see our conversation on Tammy and the T-Rex. Oh, right. Um, I talk about this all the time. <laughs> no, no, but, but it's something true because I, I talked about it when, uh, you know, when we do our Twilight series here because they, you know, the first, first film was directed by a woman and then that film surprisingly oh, did well. That. Yeah. So the first Twilight is the best in terms of like filmmaking. It was directed by a woman. That one did well, and the studio was like, oh, shit, we can market this. Let's like, give it to a man. Yep, quietly got rid of her and then hired uh, male directors for the rest of the uh, series, which really should not have had men directing it. But that, oh. I digress. <laughs> Running through this cast, Brittany Murphy, like, I, I think this is her first film or one of her first films, and she's yeah. so good in this. R.I.P. It's such a shame. I would love to see what she would be doing in her later career because, like, after this, she kind of went into a bit of an ingenue kind of situation, you know, where she was in a lot of movies where she was, like, the pretty young lead. Um, but I think she would be so much more interesting as, like, a character actress now. Absolutely. And so relatable, too. Like... I watch Ty and I feel like I'm watching myself <laughs> in so many situations, especially the one where they're at that like warehouse party with the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones and she's just oh, standing God. there and like doesn't know what to do with her hands. <laughs> so she keeps like changing the look of her shirt. It's great. I think for me, like growing up and getting older, like Ty, I did not appreciate the character until, not until today, but the older I've gotten, the more I appreciate it. 
that. Uh, and I, when Brittany Murphy was taking on the roles that you were saying like later, I almost forgot that she was Ty in this. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, wow. So you're absolutely right. I would love to see what she would be doing today because she clearly has it. Like, oh, man. That's depressing. Because she manages to do this thing that I think is really hard, which is to be so incredibly naive while also being more worldly than these other girls who seem so sophisticated. Yeah. About like, like no shit, you guys got coke here? Or like her being, <laughs> you know, her not being a virgin where the other girls were and like, you know, that kind of thing. And she's from New York City. Like, I don't know. I love that though. I love the the play of that. I love the fact that Shares the narrator here. It's her world. She's she's supposed to be, you know, the expert in things. And to an extent she is because of the way she's painting it. But she's not <laughs> she's not in so much. And the fact that mm-hmm. how can I put it? Like the the narration is not just for like important things. It's literally what she's seeing or what we're seeing when when approached. Like there's that one scene where they're in the teacher's lounge and she's discussing potential mates for mm-hmm. uh the debate teacher and the, like you know, the camera stops at something and she'll say something like just so not random, but like it just you don't usually get narrators like that. Right. What do they say in books? Like, I don't want to call her an unreliable narrator because. No, but you're seeing this through her eyes like this is her version of the world and something that Amy Hackerling uses a lot. And I think I mentioned before is like a dream sequence. Like it's there are in almost every single one of her films, either a dream sequence or a nightmare sequence or some kind of like altered state. And that actually isn't in this movie. And my hypothesis is because the whole thing is basically a dream sequence. It's this like version of the world that's shiny and happy and good and people have the best of intentions and you know you can do things that matter <laughs> in a way and and heckerling has spoken about this that like this this was not she was not making a movie about real people or like how a beverly hills high school would actually function this was like an idealized version of it this is a genre where a lot of people say that you know it's not very varied and that's bullshit you know because this is a great film but like dazed and confused is a great film and they kind of do the opposite thing yeah which is great or even um jawbreaker which i feel like is a bizarro clueless oh yeah that's a good call but you're absolutely right you know we covered Uh, that on wistful thinking and i was like holy shit this is like (laughs) dark clueless and it makes me love it that much more yeah i mean that that's a really good call but you're so right about that. Like the dream, the dreaminess of this, it's not real. It's not supposed to be real. And once you buy in, I think the people who are haters, and look, they're not too many. Most people love it. But I think the people who are haters are just not buying in. Yeah. Yeah. You got to suspend your disbelief, bro. <laughs> uh, let's see. Who else? Oh, Paul Rudd, of course. Uh, what are your thoughts? You made, you so made a handsome. sound. Just so handsome. Just illegally handsome. Ridiculous. <laughs> So not a square, as the back of the DVD said? No, I, I think really carved out a niche in the kind of people that I'm attracted to. Travis, too. <laughs> Saw this. just I was a very impressionable age. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing to, like, Paul Rudd has become someone who's just, not just Paul Rudd, but, like, we know his shtick now. He's, since this, such an established star that he was another person, too, that 
when I looked back on this film, maybe after like a couple of years after my first watch, I'm like, holy shit, that was Paul Rudd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's one of those things. But he's he's really good in this, too. Um, much is made. I feel, I feel like much was made about like their relationship and how they end up together. Of course, he's, as I said, on the back of the DVD, her ex stepbrother. But I, I think the movie does enough to make it clear that like they didn't grow up together. Like it's yeah. not it's not that weird. So Ugh. this is wild. Uh, Amy Heckerling's grandparents, one of her sets of grandparents, were stepbrother and stepsister. So she didn't realize this was weird. This was like normal oh, to her. Oh, that's interesting. I like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, it's a little weird, but I again, like I said, I think the movie does enough to be, basically tell you like. They yeah they didn't grow up together they probably you know I don't know maybe they did <laughs> no I mean I think it seems like their parents were married for like four years maybe I don't know if that's like accurate <laughs> but that's what it seems like to me a, sh- a relatively short marriage I'll just say it didn't feel icky on this last watch uh, so yeah. I'll just put it that way I mean I can see how it's icky and and I feel that a little bit but I also am like eh, it's fine <laughs> it's uh, just a movie. Exactly. It's just a movie. They're not actually like blood brother and sister. That would be weird. I don't know if I could justify that, but, you know, but whatever. <laughs> Let's not get off topic with that. Uh, just quickly, some other people. Uh, of course, her dad is played by Dan Hedaya. Also R.I.P., one of my very favorite character actors of all time. Uh, he plays Nixon in the movie Dick. Oh, yeah. And it's just, just chef's kiss. I mean, he's so good in everything he does. We've and apparently in real life, he was like the exact opposite of those characters that he plays, where he's always like this gruff, Yeah, get out of my chair. <laughs> we've seen him pop up in the background of a lot of films we've done here. Uh, of course, I can't think of any at the time, but um, he's done such, he does, like you said, he does some, some awesome, awesome character work. And he's great in this as Mel shares dad. Who else could we talk about quickly? I mean, I, I do want to mention Elisa Donovan playing Amber. She's actually like one of my favorite people in this movie. I love Even Amber. Even though she's supposed to be an asshole. I'm like, I'm kind of an Amber. <laughs> I'm like a weird Thai-Amber hybrid. I think Amber was uh, Cher, of course, but I think Amber uh, was this character who kind of people expected the Beverly Hills girl of that era mm-hmm. to be. And like the whatever, like with the W and stuff mm-hmm. and just like the uh, bad her attitude. I, her her outfits, outfits are my favorite ones. There's one where she has like a hat with a dollar sign, I think. Uh-huh. It's a little sh- sailor hat. Yeah. There's actually a lot of sailor hats in this movie. And then at the end of it, Dion talks about how she wants when when she gets married to have a sailor dress, but it's going to be white. and Yeah. Anyway, continue. Sorry. Wallace Shawn as... Mr. Hall, you know, classic actor as well. It's a very mm-hmm. distinct voice. Uh, talked about him a lot. Uh, I mean, he's been in stuff on this show, but talked about him the most on Kyle's show, Foodie Films, for My Dinner with Andre. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, Twink Kaplan as, what's her name, Miss Geist? Uh, Miss Geist. Ms. She's Geist, actually yeah. Amy Hackerling's real-life best friend. And producing partner, actually. And I, I want to say, I think it was this movie. It might have been one of her other films. But I think on this, she actually gave up producer credit so that they could, like, do something else that they wanted to do, which I think sucks, like, for Twink, because, you know, that means less money and 
like she couldn't join the producers guild or whatever but they work really really closely together and in particular for uh miss geist's character who gets married at the end of the movie she had a a really active role in helping to design her wedding dress oh cool Mm -hmm. yeah because when i looked her up i'm like oh she's got you know a lot of uh, producer credits. I was curious because I'd never, yeah. I, honestly, I'd never really heard of her. And when you have a name like Twink, I was curious. Yeah. Well, she's actually in the Look Who's Talking movies, too. At least the first two. I don't think I saw the third, but Heckerling didn't direct the third anyway. But yeah, she's she plays Kirstie Alley's best friend in those and is smoking hot. She actually, that character was the basest for the character design of Dee Dee Pickles from the Rugrats. Oh my God. I yeah, was so she's say. like sexy Dee Dee Pickles. It's real weird. That makes so much sense. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. Thanks. I mean, whew, mind blown right there. <laughs> yeah. Highly, highly, highly recommend at least the first Look Who's Talking movie. It's so good. Totally blew my mind. I had never seen it until we did Cinemakers. And it just, it is one of those situations where she was able to convince the studio to make a movie about a young single mom by being like it's about a boy baby but really it's about the young single mom and also John Travolta's in it and they dance oh it's it's just so good yeah yeah I have actually seen that one it's been a while but I remember it being good I haven't seen the second and I have not seen the third what's the third called look who's talking also I don't know Well, if you ever do want to talk about it, I know a guy with a show about third films, so. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He Uh, might have covered it. Did he? I forget. I (laughs) I don't know. I'm going to ask him after we get off. I'm just curious. So two other people I wanted to mention were uh, Donald Faison. Mm, Also so good in this. He (laughs) was one of the things that I noticed in the background this time. Like his, just like whenever people are doing something ridiculous, and they like cut to like a, the, a shot of the whole class where like no one's paying attention. He's just sitting there like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Great faces. Yeah. And of course, the other person I want to mention, because they're in a lot of films together, I feel like. And that's Breckenmeyer. Mm-hmm. So uh, and of course, Breckenmeyer plays Travis Birkenstock. <laughs> Interesting mm-hmm. character name. Rumor. Not sure if this is true. But the backstory of his character is that he is the heir to the Birkenstock fortune, like the sandals. Oh, I mean, that's why I was, I'm like, it's almost too on the nose that that's his yeah. last name. So that makes great sense. Yeah. I, I hope it's true. Me too. I like to think it's true. <laughs> and of course, I, I didn't mention, but but Donald Faison plays Murray. Um, anyone else in the cast that we need to mention? Because I think those are like our main players. Oh, I didn't mention, uh, what's his name? Elton. Elton. Well, Elton and then the other dude. Jeremy Sisko oh, plays Elton, yeah. and then Christian is played by Justin Walker. They're yeah. both prominent parts of the movie, but I mean, I'm not too familiar with their careers. Yeah, Jeremy Sisto has worked a lot. He was on Six Feet Under and really played a terrible person. So I just, I always, like, his, <laughs> the characters that he plays just makes me, like, not like him. And then the guy who played Christian, unfortunately, did not get many roles after this. And he thinks it might be because he played a gay guy in the 90s, which is really unfortunate. Oh, that is unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, think, I thought he did a great job. He did. And it's such a positive and loving portrayal of a gay kid in the 90s, which did not exist at the time, really. Certainly not in mainstream cinema. Yeah. That's for sure. Um 
Okay, so before we kind of talk about some scenes or some stuff you enjoyed, whatever you want to talk about, really, I just made a note here to just... I mean, I know your opinion on it, but I'm going to ask it anyway for the fans. Uh, just what's your overall take on the fashion? I think there's like so many different types of plaid apparently in this film. And oh, I have I have uh, facts and figures on that if you want. <laughs> sure. Yes. <laughs> I absolutely. have to pull up my notes. But yeah, the costume designer on this, Mona May, is like a totally important designer. She only had about like eight weeks prep time to research and like pull these costumes together before they started shooting, which is pretty amazing. And during the film, there are 53 different kinds of tartan slash plaid. Those are not the same thing. So it's tartan and plaid used, uh, seven of which are worn by Cher and 12 by other major characters. Uh, This came along at, at, at a time where like the grunge look was really big and kind of people often point to Clueless as at, as like a moment where that started to break because even though it pulls in elements of grunge fashion, we're also seeing elements of hip hop culture and the mall culture and even the elements of grunge fashion that she brought in for the uh, female characters are feminine in a way that was not popular at the time and really changed fashion which is incredible um they had kind of brought together like influences and and amy hackerling works really really closely with um her people that are also working on the movie brain (laughs) not working you know it was like intimately involved in the costuming process and so they they brought together kind of european influences and runway influences but also wanted it to look Like, these were teenagers who were buying these things in stores. You know, they didn't want them to look like high fashion models. And I think that they managed to do that in such a successful way, even though that, you know, initial yellow plaid outfit is a Jean-Paul Gaultier outfit. And she, yeah, had 63 outfit changes for Cher. Wow. Only cost... $200,000, even though a lot of that was designer stuff. That's insane. Yeah. (laughs) And, like, that, uh, I guess, initial plaid outfit is such an iconic one that's, like, the outfit of the movie. But there's so Mm -hmm. many more, including other, like, uh, plaid outfits she has. There was one I really liked that had, like, some red in it, too. Yeah, so over the course of the film, we actually see the course of the school year and the color palettes of the outfits match the season. So in September, she's wearing yellow. Closer to Christmas time, you see her wearing red. And it's interesting, like you don't really notice it unless you know that. And then once you watch the movie, you can kind of like track it over the course of the year. It's definitely something that's like, I didn't realize like it was changing that way. But now that you mention it, it's awesome. It's that's so cool. Yeah. And I think like you see that plaid that yellow plaid look like the original one, and that is clueless today. Like, even today, mm-hmm. people identify that just, you know, that tartan with clueless. Yeah. It's almost like that's their clan. Yeah, and Dion's outfit was actually, even though Cher was wearing Gautier, Dion's outfit was designed entirely by Mona May. So she was able to kind of match that style and create, you know, a secondary look for Dion that's like just as great. I love that hat. 
So many good hats. Uh, I was just going to say, so many good hats. I'll never forget that hat on Dion. That's for sure. Um, I also like how uh, Cher points out the stuff about like high school guys and their fashion at the time. And there's like a little kind of like side monologue regarding it. Yes. And it's so true, like especially and, to like, the film. We're supposed to swoon? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, you have like, you know, these nice outfits put together clearly like, you know, there's color coordination. We'll put it that way. And then you have these dudes with just like jeans and t-shirts and whatever you know baggy clothes whatever was popular at the time but i just love that little comp it's it, it was it's so true especially like again in the world they've they've created here not that those costume that that costuming also doesn't take effort to put in and create mm-hmm. but certainly you know there's certainly a big difference between like how most guys dress and most girls dress so to the point where when christian is like Dressing fancy and being very, uh, you know. Wearing those, like, nipple-high waisted pants. <laughs> They're so high. All of his costumes actually were vintage stuff from a costume warehouse. Like, period era 40s and 50s stuff. Oh, that definitely makes sense. Yeah. And I think it just does a great job of, like, showing why Cher would fall for someone sure. like him. He's so different than all the other guys. She detests high school guys, uh you know, uh, she has some great lines in it that I wrote down here. Uh, we'll get to them, I'm sure. But um, it, it just it makes sense. It didn't feel like some cheap gag like, oh, Cher falls for the gay guy, you know. Right. And like, I mean, how many like as a kind of like alt kid, how many of those like thrift store kids <laughs> did you know growing up because i knew a lot of them oh like, yeah thrift store queers yeah <laughs> absolutely and i say that with absolute love and respect of course i mean i love christian you know um, yeah he's so I guess good the one controversial thing about him that like i've seen on people say online is that like is he using share for her money i i saw people Who say says, that online what <laughs> i don't that doesn't don't even think. make any sense did you see what kind of car he drives <laughs> like it's think... very nice and fancy there's the one scene where he like borrows money from her at the club, but you're absolutely right. Oh. He has all these outfits. He has this, uh, you know, the, a fancy car. He seems yeah. to be pretty. No, put that together. to me just read as like he doesn't have any pockets, <laughs> you know, or something like that. <laughs> well, yes. Then that was clearly written by a the more pocketed gender. We'll put it that way. But, <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, so let's get into, you know, some early scenes or whatever you really want to talk about here. Uh, We kind of, the way we open up with the, you know, Kids in America, the fashion computer, just seeing, like, what her world is like in this house with her dad. She, you know, she kind of takes care of him. You know, she talks about her mom not being in the picture, a big trope we see in high school uh, films. And even, like, I forgot about, like, her white Jeep. Like, so many great mm. things in the beginning just Love to set car. the scene. Yeah. Yeah. And it's played throughout just uh, her, the fact that she doesn't have a license and she's not the best driver. Um, and it's not because, like, she's dumb or something. She, it's like a lack of focus, which is awesome. Like, I, I love seeing the driving stuff because it reminded me from being a teen. And, like, that was the one thing that was the worst part of learning to drive for me. Like, oh, Brian, you have to focus on something right now. <laughs> I still struggle with that. Yeah. This is another theme that comes up over and over again in Heckerling films, which is like bad driving and car accidents. We definitely see it happen in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Although that 
arises from Amy Heckerling's personal belief that people on lewds should not drive. <laughs> but the scene in Clueless where Cher's in the car with Dion and Murray and Dion's kind of like learning to drive and they actually get on the freeway. That actually happened to Amy Heckerling because she grew up in the Bronx, Brooklyn. One of the New York City boroughs that start with B. Can't remember which one. And then when she moved to L.A., she had to learn how to drive. And it, she was, like, so terrified and had several instances where she accidentally wound up on the freeway and thought she was going to die. <laughs> I love that, too. Just the way. Oh, God. Like, just the. It's <laughs> not that we've all been there to that extent but we've all definitely been in those kind of situations and yeah um just murray like murray's reaction and just the reaction of the cars around them you're just hoping that other people are defensively driving you know yeah. <laughs> that, that was pretty intense um the, the car stuff in this is great the way the cars look is great uh it's it's weird because in the city right like we don't get too many city high school films you mm-hmm. and I and Mike talked about one in Hackers, and we were saying like, oh, yeah. that was one, that was one, one of the few. So the car thing is such a huge like trope in high school movies because most high school movies take place in the suburbs or cities like L.A. where, I don't, I don't know, it feels like L.A. has a lot of what I would call suburban communities in its urban core. Well, sure. And I mean, like, obviously, there's a huge, huge car culture there. Like, that's... It, yeah. it would make sense that given that so many high school movies are set in the greater Los Angeles area, that people would be driving, you know, given the history of cars and public transportation there. I've never been to L.A., but my whole, like, knowledge of Los Angeles geography comes from high school movies. Like, OK, <laughs> this is what the valley's like. This is what Beverly Hills is like. Like, and uh, so I have and no Sino idea. Casino is where the cavemen's are. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I've been meaning to track it. Joey was helping me with it, but so many movies take place in L.A., but so many teen movies specifically take place in, like, the Valley or, you know, uh, Beverly Hills. Uh, like, so I don't... Right. Or the greater Chicago area for some oh, yes. reason. John oh. Hughes, probably. That's probably why. <laughs> Huge influence there, but there's so many other ones that aren't John Hughes that take place in, like, the Chicago metro that anytime... Yeah. It's weird because there's so many New York or New York area films but I don't think it's in the top three in high school films for whatever reason. Yeah. Well, um, Amy Heckerling, to bring her up again. Uh, yes, I am obsessed Who? with her, apparently. Who? Okay. Uh, Amy Heckerling. <laughs> she is a director. One of the things that we covered on Cinemakers was her directorial run on a Amazon original series called Red Oaks. Which, when the characters start out, they're they're still in high school. And that is set in northern New Jersey, shot around your hometown. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've been meaning to check out Red Oaks because, I, again, it's I, so I good. It's it, really great. Everyone tells me that it's amazing. It's also, like, just really – because I lived around there for several years, so it's weird to, like – be watching something and just like recognize every single location it's a little distracting <laughs> yeah and, and I, I remember reading that she was from new york and she moved out to california and definitely because i for me you know just for fast times and clueless there's such california films that i always mm. forget that she's a new yorker at heart but i mean she does capture that california teen film like like no other yeah and and um a big component 
of that and of how good the costumes look and how good the cars look and that like bright California sunshine um, is the work of Bill Pope, the director of photography, who also shot The Matrix, among other things. Wow. <laughs> yeah. He just did such an incredible job on this. And he has talked about, um, I think his mother was a seamstress or something like that. So he really like understood clothes and understood how to shoot them and the details so that they weren't just you know, what the actors happened to be wearing. They were like part of really the, the fabric of the story. Um, and I think that he shoots the cars and just all the locations so well. The year that they shot this was actually like one of the rainiest winters on record in Los Angeles. So, so much of that bright, warm California sunshine is actually artificial lighting. Wow. Because this is such a bright movie. So that, that's yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Um, so one of the first scenes that like I really remembered on this you know, series of rewatches that I was like eager to see again is just shares. Uh, well, she's in debate class, but like her, I love her like debates. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when she just gets up and she'll just talk about something like with to her is like blind knowledge or what is it, the Haitians and stuff, <laughs> which was not in this like. It, Haitians was in the script, and that was the way that Alicia Silverstone pronounced it. And Amy Amy Heckerling was like, oh, my God, it's perfect. (laughs) I don't know why Dion's going out with the high school boy. They're like dogs. You have to clean them and feed them. and They're just like these nervous creatures that jump and slobber all over you. Ew, get off of me. Ugh, as if. Should all oppressed people be allowed refuge in America? Amber will take the count position. Cher will be pro. Cher, two minutes. So, okay. Like right now, for example, the Hadians need to come to America. But some people are all, what about the strain on our resources? But it's like when I had this garden party for my father's birthday, right? I said RSVP because it was a sit-down dinner. But people came that, like, did not RSVP. So I was, like, totally bugging. I had to haul ass to the kitchen, redistribute the food, squish in extra place settings. But by the end of the day, it was like, the more, the merrier. And so, if the government could just get to the kitchen, rearrange some things, we could certainly party with the Hadians. And in conclusion, may I please remind you that it does not say RSVP on the Statue of Liberty. Thank you very much. Amber, uh, reply. Mr. Hall, how can I answer that? The topic is Haiti, and she's talking about some little party. Hello, it was his 50th birthday. Whatever. If she doesn't do the assignment, I can't do mine. Oh, it's so great. And, uh, you know, the debate class is one of the classes that's you know, frames the... This is, like, legit a high school movie. I know we do some movies that take place in high school, but this is a film where most of it is in or a lot of it, we'll say, is in the high school. And it's their interactions between the students and the teachers, as we've seen, as Cher, you know, decides because her dad's a lawyer and she she's used to, I guess, arguing her way out of everything in a nice way. She's not, like, terribly mean or anything like that. Uh, but she needs her grade up in debate class. So the way she devises to do that is to set uh, Miss Geist up with Mr. Hall. 
And uh, we we get a whole little kind of side story about this. Yeah, I mean, it's really the B story of the whole movie is is this her trying to like she's trying to puppet master everybody else's life. It's you know she's doing that with Ty, she's doing that with these two. Everyone's kind of like Barbie dolls to her. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. And I love I love how that's going on and how she's just again controlling her little world here. But it's not malicious, and that's the nicest mm-hmm. part because we watch so many films where like. This would come off as malicious, and it really doesn't. Also, Mrs. Geist gets a makeover, but, you know, we have two makeovers, I think, technically in this Hell movie, yeah. right? Because we have the tie makeovers. Yeah. And I would argue a third makeover, which is a makeover of Cher's soul. Ooh. <laughs> good one. Good one. And so, well, I'll ask, so how do you figure? What, what part of her soul is remade? Well, she talks about it, you know, after after she realizes, like, oh, my God, I love Josh. She realizes that her whole life has just been fluff and she's been so self-centered and she wants to become a better person. And so she's learning about art from Christian. And, you know, she's she's seeing all of these good qualities in the people around her and realizing that those are really the qualities that she should be aspiring to and not just cute outfits and stuff although cute outfits and stuff are still obviously very important and and i do like that she doesn't betray you know Mm -hmm. everything she is yeah she really stays true to herself through this and like learns and grows as a person instead of completely being like i was like that's the old me you know and (laughs) instead is like trying to fold all of this stuff into her existence and early on just like some of the low-key selfish stuff she's saying or just like silly stuff uh i mean because what's paul rudd's character's name sorry josh 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 is not perfect himself either you know like he Mm -hmm. he's clearly grew up with money you know maybe his particular mother i don't know like her story but he's not like some like poor kid he's definitely a rich kid he went off to college like a lot of us did and kind of became a little bit more Aware, but slash... Reading Nietzsche by the pool. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That's the best way to put it. I was trying to come up with the words, you know? I mean, that that shot is so, I mean, to to borrow a word from you, Brian, iconic. Yes. Um, In that, like, it's so perfect and it's such a perfect encapsulation of, like, what happens (laughs) at first or second year of college when you, like, take a philosophy class or a psychology class (laughs) or whatever. And share, like pins it right away she sees it right away She's like freshman psych rears its ugly head <laughs> it's so great because you know a lot of other films would have just made him just like a voice of reason and he mm-hmm. is to an extent but he's also he, he's going or through... a caricature and yes. he's some he he is like a real person without falling into like caricature territory which would be so easy and it, he's really like writing a line on I liked the fact that he's wearing plaid, too, a lot, mm-hmm. but it's more like that grunge plaid, which was so popular. It's an odd to the crispy Seattle weather. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, this movie, like, it, it calls itself out on so much of it. It just juxtaposed to Cher's plaid. It's just, it's perfect for me. Mm-hmm. But we've spent a lot of time on fashion. <laughs> Never enough. <laughs> Um, so this has a lot of these, like I said, like these cool high school tropes, but it does them to such a great level. The makeover thing. Uh, 
when Ty's introduction is great because new kid in town is a great high school trope, but she's just so good at it because she's different to all of them. And we see her slowly assimilating to what their culture is. But you were right. She doesn't lose that like New Yorkerness. She just kind of, you know, changes her clothes and yes, she does become a lot more popular, but um, I just love it. Shares another great trope, just, Introducing all the cliques in school when Cher and Dion are kind of like showing her the lay of the land and what's going on there. It's again, it's to me, to borrow my own word, <laughs> it's just so iconic. Mm-hmm. And I love that introduction scene in gym class. That's probably one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Oh, yeah, the tennis one. Mm-hmm. There you go. There you go. All right, Cher. Earth to Cher. Come in, Cher. <laughs> oh, my God. Ms. Stoger, I would just like to say that physical education in this school is a disgrace. I mean, standing in line for 40 minutes is hardly aerobically effective. I doubt I've worked off the calories in a stick of carefree gum. Well, you certainly exercise your mouth, Cher. Now hit the ball. Ms. Stoger, that machine is just a lawsuit waiting to happen. Thanks for the legal advice. Dion, you're up. Oh, no, Miss Stoger, I have a note from my tennis instructor, and he would prefer it if I didn't expose myself to any training that might derail his teachings. Fine. Amber? Miss Stoger, mm-hmm. my plastic surgeon doesn't want me doing any activity where balls fly at my nose. Well, there goes your social life. <laughs> Miss Stoger? Got another one. Ladies, we have a new student with us. This is Ty Frazier. Yeah, it's first of all, their outfits for that tennis are uh, just so good. chef's kiss. Absolute <laughs> chef's kiss cuz they're all like the the gym uniform seems to be you have to wear black and white. It doesn't matter what it is though. <laughs> you know, so they're all wearing these like incredibly varied outfits that are all just wacky as hell and I love them so much but they're all in black and white so like it it looks so cohesive even though they're all wearing something incredibly different and it's so great like because they're just it's paired perfectly with their like excuses like Dion says like her tennis instructor doesn't want her to learn bad form or something along those Mm -hmm. lines and Amber is like oh my plastic surgeon (laughs) said I can't play he doesn't want me doing any activities where balls fly at my nose (laughs) and I think that's probably the number like there's a lot of these kinds of jokes in the movie but like the number one joke that those of us who saw this as children then upon revisiting it as adults were like oh my god because <laughs> then Cher says well or is it Dion I think there goes Dion. your social life yeah, yeah. Well, there goes your social life I was like wow this watch was the first time I like really recognized that joke so you're absolutely yeah. right I was like oh shit so you know as we go along with the film were there any uh you know specific moments that you wanted to talk about again we get a lot there's a lot of stuff here so it's like impossible to cover everything oh there is so much good stuff there i mean the next one i really have in my notes is uh well share again is playing matchmaker and trying to set up a tie with elton they get an invite to a party in the valley so we get Mm -hmm. a high school party and it's it's very uh this party's very cool because it is a wild party but like Cher still dressed to the nines and mm-hmm. which which I love. And that is another one of my favorite um costumes in the movie. The dress is 
he's like a totally important designer whose name I can't remember at the moment, but uh, the jacket is Mona May. And I love that jacket. I would wear that jacket in a heartbeat. I wonder if there's like some very rich person who has like replicated the entire wardrobe of Shay. Oh, I'm sure. Recently, Calvin Klein released, like re-released that white dress as the clueless dress that she wears out to the other party in this movie, the the warehouse party that I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. And she comes downstairs and her dad is like, what the hell is that? And she says, it's a dress. And he says... <laughs> Oh, and then he asks her to put something over it. And she's like, I was totally going to. And so she goes and she grabs a sheer shirt. Like, it's totally see-through, which I find hilarious. <laughs> that it, Yeah, that's so good. Uh, that you know, that whole sequence is great. Yeah. Um, that party is definitely cooler. The, the ska party, the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones party is way mm-hmm. cooler for me than this house party here. But I do like uh, at this house party just, like, the happenings, the little game that mm-hmm. Cher's trying to play because Brecken Meyer's character, the Birkenstock dude, he's, he really likes Ty and they seem like they'd be a good match. But Cher, you know, n- not a fan, trying to hook her up with uh, Elton. God, I keep forgetting this dude's name. <laughs> and then when, that moment where she passes out is so great. Yeah. yeah, I had one of those moments I told you earlier this week where I had an EEG, which is a neurological test where they like connect a bunch of electrodes to your head and then measure your brain waves while doing things including flashing lights in your eyes which is very unpleasant but afterwards they like ask you a series of like neurocognitive questions and one of them was or actually a couple of them were basic math and I had a real like stuff she knows moment <laughs> where I don't know math <laughs> on a good day um, and so after Cher gets bonked in the head or not Cher Ty gets bonked in the head with a clog they're like asking her questions to assess her mental state and Elton asks her a basic math math question share says stuff she knows <laughs> so oh yeah I, I hear you I don't the only like thing I could relate to with that was one time I was pulled over um, and I hadn't been drinking but I was very tired and mm. you know quiet New Jersey town police pulled me over they nothing better to do <laughs> exactly and police officer was running a lot of like tests that i don't think i would have got like i right now i don't think i could say the alphabet backwards <laughs> backwards really yeah thinking it's about crazy it, you know and yeah. there's other stuff like that too like when was the last time you, you had a drink and i was like uh i think i had a drink like a beer like a couple hours before that but like they want you to be like seven o'clock with this you know and i right. was like um and I remember, again, I was, like, super tired, and they called another cop, and the dude thought he was so going to, like, get me, and it took, like, an hour for another cop to come with a breathalyzer. He got me, and I remember the look on his face, like, son of he, – he cursed. He was like, fuck, or, like, son of a bitch, because I blew point zero zero. I wasn't yeah. drunk. I was just stupid, I guess, you know? Right. I'm like, but those that's what those are dumb tests. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. I digress. But. Agree. No, I mean, and they they do that to people all the time who have uh, conditions like narcolepsy or type 1 diabetes who, you know, might have, like, I have several friends with type 1 diabetes who, during, like, a low blood sugar episode have been pulled over and given, like, a really hard time by the cops. And they're like, no, I just need some juice. (laughs) Like, I'm fine. I just need some juice. And it, like, becomes a whole thing. And, you know, in certain circumstances, we see that that can turn deadly which is unfortunate yes uh you know the gotcha nature of police officers well let's not get into it i guess yeah fuck that 
that's another podcast. For We're talking about Clueless, which doesn't have police officers in that world, apparently. It does have crime because Elton decides, doesn't decide, he kind of forces Cher to go home with him and, you know. Tries to date rape her. Yes. I mean, Cher escapes the situation, luckily, but he ditches her, like, in apparently a bad part of town. So this, mm-hmm. Elton's the worst. We'll just put it that way. Yeah, he sucks. Uh, he Yeah, there's no way, you know, there's no good thing about his character. But, I mean, he's a realistic character. I'm not saying it's a poorly written character, but he's just, he's a bad dude. We'll put it that way. And that, that's when, of course, Cher gets held up in the valley and uh, has to call in her ex-stepbrother to pick her up, I, I, I guess. But I love, uh, not that this is my favorite scene or anything like that, but I love Cher's conversations with the guys like who's holding her up because mm-hmm. it's just consistently Cher, you know? Oh, that's the designer. This is an Elia. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, humor in the most dire situations in this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next, like, moment I had written down was when we find out that Cher is a virgin, that Dion is, like, sort of a virgin, and that's when uh, they're at basically at the restaurant. They're talking about it. And, again, I love seeing these conversations in movies because a lot of times we see them mostly with guys, right? So it's, right. it's cool to see it uh, from, quote-unquote, the other side. The I think it's in this scene because I wrote it down here, but I that was this is the one uh, – no – I think it's the scene right after. Sorry, guys. But where one of my favorite quotes of the movie is said by Cher. And she says, searching for a boy in high school is as useless as searching for meaning in a Pauly Shore movie. Yeah. I love that quote. Even though I'm like, how dare you? Pauly Shore is wonderful. (laughs) But originally, that was not about a Pauly Shore movie. Amy Heckerling, her second movie or third movie that she directed was actually National Lampoon's European Vacation, starring Chevy Chase. Oh, yes. (laughs) And from what I gather, shooting was an absolute nightmare uh, because Chevy Chase is who Chevy Chase is. And so originally that line was about searching for meaning in a Chevy Chase movie. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. But one of the executive producers... When she saw the first cut of the movie, she was like, I only have one note, and it's that you have to cut that line about Chevy Chase because I see him at parties and I don't want it to get weird. <laughs> and, you know, to be fair, it probably would get weird knowing how Chevy Chase yeah, is. Yeah, he's an uh, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> he's so terrible. I get it. I get it. And, and it's, it's to me, the line might be more accurate with Chevy Chase, but I think it's better with Pauly Shore. Just yeah. thinking of the year... You know, and uh, mm-hmm. what Pauly Shore is making and just like, again, this is Cher's point of view, too. Right. It's not necessarily true, but like. Yeah. Pauly Shore is one of those guys with the baggy pants and the backwards exactly, hat. She's exactly. She's supposed to swoon. Yeah. <laughs> so it makes total sense for the film. So good replacement line. I know they didn't want to do it, but it works. Yeah. I mean, we've kind of touched on most of the rest of the film. We talked about, you know, dating Christian. I mean, I'll ask you this question with the Christian thing in terms of going on the date and and the Mighty Mighty Boston's awesome party. But, I mean, what did you think about the scene where she, I guess she's trying to seduce him and he's not having Mm -hmm. it? Listen, I've been there. I've done that. Yes. Wow. (laughs) I mean, not that exact setup. There was no... With that actor, too? Wow. No. Yes. Yes, definitely. (laughs) In that weird big bed. But, yeah. No, I've been there. Didn't quite clock a person's sexuality correctly <laughs> and uh you know 
disappointment and oh. ensued. Well, I, d- I do think that it's handled in this movie pretty sweetly, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep applauding it for that. It's mm-hmm. never like, oh, he's gross, he's gay or whatever. Yeah, even when they're in the car with Murray and Dion, and, and Murray doesn't know who they're talking about at first, and, and Cher is like, D, I almost had sex with him. And then he finds out they're talking about Christian, and he's like, the words that he uses are not really slurs. Um, I think cake boy is a made up term, but then like the other words that he uses are really more terms that like men within the gay community would use to identify each other, like friend of Dorothy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's never violent or mean spirited or anything like that, which for the time, like, even though it's like, you know, leaves a lot to be desired as far as like queer representation of film goes for the time is actually like really incredible because of you know i mean look at any other high school movie that might feature a gay character at at that time and you're definitely going to hear some a lot worse than that i was shocked shocked because like in my head i remember that murray was more homophobic in this scene than he was and he's not Mm -hmm. he's just saying like basically in his own words he's saying like oh sure he's gay that's probably why nothing has happened right (laughs) so i was surprised with that like you said it's not perfect but for the time it's pretty darn close to you know the best you're gonna get in a mainstream hollywood film when it comes to representation in that way and i get a sense that like Contrary to what someone I read on the internet said, like, there's no using here. Like, I I think, you know, uh, he's just trying to, Christian's just trying to figure things out himself as well. You yeah, know? he may not even, like, fully understand that yet, you know. He just knows that he's, like, not into Cher, but would like to go shopping with her, you know. And, like, that's that's great. And I would love to see more movies that kind of, like, explore people figuring that out, uh, like, on their terms. But the other thing about him and Cher is that like even though she's trying to change everyone else she never tries to change him oh yeah I mean that's a really good call too I didn't even think of it that way but you're right like because he's pretty perfect to her in a lot of ways except one very big one but she doesn't you're right she doesn't even bother which is great yeah it's like it's not she doesn't see it as like something that is wrong with him and needs to be changed it's just like oh okay yeah let's go to the mall (laughs) absolutely and it's not like she stopped and i thought that was one of the most beautiful things that she doesn't stop doing these things with him like that she enjoyed so it, it really showed something in Cher's character and his character too because he, you know, he he's comfortable being himself, the most himself, uh, as we see in the movie, around Cher, which I think is great. And just, mm-hmm. to, just to hit on one of the uh, other things you said in terms of I'd love to see more of this in movies, especially teen movies, because uh, often we'll see either a character who's made fun of or put down or even the opposite right. way who's like so sure of himself. Right. And, but always the best friend. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Yeah. And just this... This is one of the, especially in this podcast, one of the few movies where I've seen a character who is like a lot of high schoolers, unsure of themselves. Even they're sure of a lot, they're sure of what they enjoy. And sure right. Like, like but, sexuality you know. just yes. happens to be one of the things that they are unsure about. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I, I don't know, Christian wasn't a character that I really remembered when I was growing up watching this movie or not. I don't want to say remember. That's a bad word. But like was drawn to 
you'll say. But now I'm like so intrigued by his character. And just even, again, the mannerisms. I think they actually say, oh, he, he got it from a, watching a lot of Tony Curtis films. Or, or... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. He, he has a thing for Tony Curtis, so he brought over some like a hot and sporadicus. <laughs> so good. So good. Again, just the layers of this movie. He also is not a car- caricature of a gay guy either like certain traits yes but like he's not super flamboyant like and if he wanted to be that would be fine too but i think it really it so easily could have crossed a line into um either making the character ridiculous or you know something to be laughed at or ridiculed and instead he's just like a real person you know and i appreciate that yeah and it's um it's believable that Cher wouldn't know, but it's also believable that people would figure it out as well. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it rides that line very nicely where he's not like, you know, we've seen so many characters in film where it's like, Oh, obviously gay, you know, you know, mm-hmm. kind of using like the lingo of the film or the opposite too, where it's like, Oh, they're portraying this like uber masculine guy, which again is another stereotype and bullshit. Right. But and then he's, he ends up being gay, and we're like, oh, snap. It wasn't that moment either, you know? How is that possible? <laughs> yeah. He has a beard. <laughs> exactly. Which, exactly. like, have you met a gay person? But... Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, this is handled with such balance, and I can only, you know, I have to credit Amy Heckerling here, as I as I did with my guest, Ann Cologne, on Fast Times, with so much of the stuff that could have gone this way, could have gone that way. A lot of our conversation on Fast Times was that, like, oh, my God. It was either on if it went this way, if it went that way, it would have been a different movie. But yeah, I mean, this could have been a Polly Shore movie, you know, at, at least like in the vein of teen movies from that time period. Like it could have been as stupid as Encino Man. And I say that with so much love, <laughs> so much love in my heart for Encino Man. But like this could have been so much stupider. <laughs> what makeover scene is better, uh, especially since they both involve the bathtub tie, like getting her hair wrung out or Encino Man, the, I'm too sexy, I guess we'll call it, uh, makeover oh, scene? Yeah, that's an excellent question that I had not previously considered. <sighs> I think actually the Encino Man uh, wow. wins for me, but just because like they're just like pouring bottles of like mouthwash <laughs> in there and like it, it's just so absurd that I... I really love it. Whereas, like, the, the tie scene is, like, a, a more straightforward, you know, girls doing a make-out. Make, whoops. <laughs> Almost said make-out scene, which, unfortunately, there is not in this movie. People make out, but it's not, it's not, uh, it's not them. Um, <laughs> make-over scene. What was I trying to say? I don't even I don't know, know but now you got me on this make-out scene thing. But no, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the wind goes to Encino Man. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's just talk quickly about um, some of the things that happen in the ending. Cher fails her driver's exam, which is a funny scene because the way she's saying, like, a lot's been going on to me. It's so teenager to say and think, yeah. like, <laughs> like, cut me some slack. I'm going through a lot right now. I mean, we, we were all there as teenagers. Yeah. And not to downplay that because when you are a teenager, no. that's how you feel. And it's so intense, and you have no context for, like, what actually matters. <laughs> and, like, these little things seem like the end of the world, and they're huge. I mean, I failed my driver's test the first time, and I was devastated. 
you know, and I thought it was the end of the world. And it turns out I took it again in two months and it was fine, you know, but it just feels so, because like, like your brain chemicals are doing all sorts of crazy things. Your hormones are doing all sorts of crazy things. So it's just, everything is like extra intense as a teenager. And I, I think we don't really respect that enough as a culture. Like we just, we kind of see teen. And again, this is an area I think where Amy Heckerling really gets this. And she talks about this all the time is like her respect for young performers and how incredible they are, you know? And I think that that kind of respect and the fact that she actually holds young people in a pretty high regard really shines through in her films and that's part of what makes them so good and different as far as teenager movies go um is that she treats them as people they're real people they're not just you know barbie dolls with feelings that are having too many feelings that are to be laughed at or dismissed in the way that adults so often do with teenagers absolutely and like you know she's a huge part of it with fast times and the the I guess, reawakening of teen films, if you will, in the 80s. I mean, John Hughes gets a lot of credit. And again, you and I talked about The Breakfast Club on this show. And that's a film that really, really definitely achieved that. But Fast Times is before that. And it's doing kind of yeah. the, the same things, too. You can't dismiss those feelings in a teenager. And, and you, you said a really good word, like context. Like, when you're that young, you don't have the context. You're absolutely right. So... It's all about perspective. How could Cher possibly have perspective on what being in the real world or like being an adult is? You know, she's been so insulated from any kind of hardship in her life that like, yeah, when her best friend has a crush on her stepbrother, her ex-stepbrother, that seems bad and... Catastrophic. uh, Catastrophic, yeah. And it's not different than something that you and I would consider a catastrophe in our lives today. It feels the it's same. No, no, I'm yeah. saying, sorry, let me be clear. Yes, it is different, but it feels the same to share yeah. as it would. It shouldn't, theoretically, but she doesn't know that. So, Right. Uh, and she doesn't have the tools. Like like I said, she's just been so insulated from hardship her entire life. Um, everything has come so easily for her. Uh, well, Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm not sure that that's true because her mom died when she was a little kid. That is the one thing, yeah. She's obviously really stepped up as far as, like, yeah, of course she has a housekeeper and all sorts of paid help around the house. But she is very much a parentified child, like, taking care of her dad and making sure that he, you know, gets his vitamins and eats right and does all of these things that, you know, children often have to do but really shouldn't and and yes she's a teenager but teenagers are children you know absolutely and yes i think like someone in a you know a different economic sense and their their parent passed away it would probably be harder than shares oh of course yeah <laughs> because... i mean that would be a completely different situation she's not exactly the best to the help quote unquote in this film but yeah uh Josh does point it out, so... Yeah, no, I mean, they comment on it in yeah. the movie. It's not that she's just, you know, has the best of intentions and is sometimes an asshole, but it's fine because she means well, you know? They actually, like, directly address it in the movie that, like, 
you know, her housekeeper is not Mexican. She's from El Salvador. And like, yes, that difference matters. Yeah. And the way Josh says it, too, he's like, you get mad when people uh, think you live on the whatever side of sun- Below sunset. Sunset. Yeah. yeah. And like for her, that's a great way to relate it. <laughs> yeah. She needs the context to somehow relate to her life. Otherwise, she won't get it. And that is true <laughs> of most people. I think we've seen uh, that be true in the last seven months or so that like unless it affects you directly people don't get it yep (laughs) i do want to touch on her housekeeper who i think is a very important character in this film and i i wish i knew the actress's name off the top of my head but i don't but she's there's this one scene where she very early in the film where she's talking to her dad in the kitchen and the housekeeper is actually hiding from her dad. This is one of those background things that I was oh. mentioning before. That, like, in the doorway, you can see her kind of, like, hiding there, waiting for Mel to leave the room. Wow. Because <laughs> he just yells, yells at people all the time, which is not great. But it makes me laugh when I see that. Because it's, you know, that in households like that, they don't run without that kind of help. And yet that kind of help is supposed to be invisible. Even though it's something that most people won't notice when they're watching that movie, I think the fact that she put that there is actually significant in that regard. I agree. I mean, you never see this (laughs) in other films. So it's just, again, super awesome to see here. I didn't notice. I mean, I did notice, obviously, the, you know, when she says, I don't speak Mexican scene or whatever. But I didn't notice that what you were just talking about there. So that's that's interesting. So oh, I want, wanted to ask you about what were your thoughts on when Cher actually discovers she's in love with Josh and the whole mm-hmm. ensuing, I guess you can call that a montage. I don't know, fantasy kind of sequence. Yeah. Lee Clueless. Oh, and this Josh and Ty thing was wigging me more than anything. I mean, what was my problem? Ty is my pal. I don't begrudge her a boyfriend. I really, ooh, I wonder if they have that in my size. What does she want with Josh anyway? He dresses funny. He listens to complaint rock. He's not even cute. In the conventional way. I mean, he's just like this slug who hangs around the house all the time. Ugh. And he's a hideous dancer. Couldn't take him anywhere. Wait a second. What am I stressing about? This is like Josh. Okay, okay, so he's kind of a Baldwin. What would he want with Ty? She could make him happy. Josh needs someone with imagination, someone to take care of him, someone to laugh at his jokes, in case he ever makes any. Then suddenly... Oh my God! I love Josh! I am majorly, totally, but crazy in love with Josh. But now I don't know how to act around him. I mean, ordinarily, I'd strut around him in my cutest little outfits and send myself flowers and candy, but I couldn't do that stuff with Josh. Yeah, I mean, not quite a fantasy sequence, but she's definitely, like, in her head thinking about, you know, all of these, all of these little moments where... You know, she was, like, slowly, unconsciously falling in love with Josh. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and the way just, like, kind of we end, um, what is she, like, she, she screws up the law thing. It's not really her fault. That guy's a dick. 
but uh, the legal partner or whatever. But Josh kind of mm. stands up for her. I don't know. It's not the most like blow your mind ending here. You know, it doesn't mean that it's bad. It's kind of just things start to fall in place. I mean, what obviously you love the film, but what do you think about the way that this kind of all ties up? But we have a Brecken Myers character, the Birkenstock kid. He, I guess he's in some kind of 12 step program. Uh, yeah, he gets sober. It allows him to focus on his skating. You know, so he's getting real good at it. <laughs> yeah, he donates like his bongs. To, to the charity thing. Yeah. I love that well, too, where Cher brings her skis to like. Yeah, that's actually a really important moment for Cher, I think, in the film, this kind of turning point moment where, where she does decide that she wants to, you know, previously she thought she was being self selfless by setting people up or whatever, when really that had a lot of like selfish goals you know and she decides that she does want to be more selfless and do stuff for other people so she volunteers to be captain of the pismo pismo beach disaster relief which i think there's a landslide there around that time yeah and so she organizes this whole like or i guess miss geist probably organized it but she's you know participating in this um drive for supplies and donates her her skis and her tennis racket because some people lost everything. And don't you think that includes sporting equipment? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. But I, I love it when they're, they're at the drive and yeah. Um, he, Travis comes in with the bong and she, she's like, I don't know, I guess bring it to the kitchen section. And he's like, yeah, that's where I used to keep it. <laughs> it's so good. It's so yeah. good. And then, uh, you know, Ty is kind of allowed to, be with Travis in a way and Travis with Ty. I, I should say more tra- Travis the Ty because he was the one who was like kind of getting shoved off to the corner. Um, yeah. But also like he didn't have to sh- like obviously getting sober is a huge life change for people, but he didn't have to get a makeover. He didn't have to That's true. cut his hair and pretend to be somebody that he's not. He actually made like a really positive change for himself in his life. And like, that's what makes him acceptable to share for Ty now and I appreciate that so much more than like if he you know cut his hair and started dressing like Elton or something like that to try and like fit in and be good enough for her and that was always Cher's problem with him was that like he you know it's one thing to spark up a doobie and get laced at parties but it's another thing to be fried all day <laughs> Cher's, Cher's words yeah you know you're right and there's so much again that even on my like three recent watches like not that I didn't pick up on but as you say it now I'm like oh yeah that totally makes sense yeah Josh and her kiss and it seems great and I was actually tricked by mm-hmm. the whole it's such a good fake out fake out with the wedding like again I'd seen this movie a ton of times I just didn't remember I'm like wait a minute what I don't remember this wedding and <laughs> <laughs> of course it's not the wedding it's the wedding of the teachers um she, she oh, god I wish I wrote the line down she says something about this is California not some state that she disparages yeah, I think she says Kentucky <laughs> oh. Duh, this is California not Kentucky <laughs> But ironically, it's still her uh, sibling, so I guess... I know she was commenting more on the age stereotype thing, but... Right. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, either way. It doesn't look great either way. Um, uh, but in this wedding scene, Amy Hackerling is actually one of the bridesmaids, and you can see her very briefly. 
in oh. the movie. Oh wow, that's cool. I didn't realize. Yeah. That. So she... when they do the bouquet toss and they're like fighting over trying to get the bouquet, she was the one in there causing the most amount of havoc and like pushing people down. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Yeah. So I think Cher catches it, but then who gets it? Someone, the gym teacher might get it at the end. I don't know. Like, oh, I don't know. I, I'm going to watch the scene again. But because I, I remember like Cher gets it and then like at the end, someone else ends up getting it. It doesn't really matter or whatever. Just a fun scene. The guys are all chumming it up with each other at the table. Everything's hunky dory. And it has this kind of like positive fantasy ending, which is nice. It is nice. And it's also not. I mean, yeah, it's a storybook ending, but it's not like and then they all lived happily ever after. Like, it's kind of like that. But it also the fact that like. Like, yeah, Cher and Josh wind up together, but they're not married. Like, this, it, nothing is really, like, set in stone. And, like, they're, it feels like their lives will continue on instead of, like, this story being over, you know? Which is so nice because in so many high school films, I'm like, oh, that was sweet. I'm like, wait a minute. There's two 17-year-olds right now who's saying they're going to live happily ever after. <laughs> right. It's like, no, 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 no. No, you guys should go to college, different <laughs> colleges. Don't talk to each other anymore. Absolutely. So, But you're right. This is a happy ending, but it doesn't give you a sense that, like, and everything was resolved forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, because I don't think that Cher and Josh will stay together. Like, they'll have a fling, and then they'll be like, oh, we're totally wrong for each other. And they'll, like, become adults and, like, meet other adults who are, you know appropriate matches for them i don't think that they wind up together after this how weird is that going to be for their prospective partners we're like oh here's my ex-stepbrother we dated for a while too so yeah <laughs> we would both... not want to be part of that love triangle <laughs> clueless too well we should talk about the after clueless projects uh so there was a clueless tv show that mm-hmm. ran one season i think on abc and then no it some... ran uh, Multiple seasons, well, actually, but Amy Hackerling was only involved for the first season. Yes, the second two were on, like, UPN, and apparently the tone incredibly changed. I remember watching the first season, but I didn't see the other two seasons. Her movie that I mentioned before, the one that she made before Vamps called I Could Never Be Your Woman, is actually based loosely on Heckerling's experience producing that TV show. Oh, interesting. That I mean, yes. that's cool. Oh, also, Paul Rudd is in that. Oh, wow. I forgot, yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer plays the Amy Heckerling character, and she's... She, what a what a beautiful woman that woman is. Just ridiculous. <laughs> and then uh, Paul Rudd plays her like younger love interest, who, in real life, we found out, I don't know, back in December or something, maybe longer than that... It, was actually Chris Kattan. That, yeah. There was a whole thing. Yeah, there was, there was a, whole a whole thing, thing. with that, right? <laughs> yeah. He recently <laughs> published a, me- a memoir, and it was like, whoa. Um, I was surprised yeah. by that. I really was surprised by that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't read the memoir. I can't comment more than the whoa when I read the headline and stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, I did go back and watch that movie, and it was very interesting to watch with that lens. Well, good for uh, Chris Kattan that Paul Rudd is playing. Or bad for him. I don't know. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, yeah, so the TV show, Amy Heckerling, you said, was involved in the first season. A lot of the actors returned. Stacey Dash, Donald Faison, not Alicia Silverstone, not Paul Rudd. Uh, so, you know, it wasn't the biggest hit, but, you know, it is what it is. And then apparently now there's going to be a Clueless somewhat reboot project for the Peacock Network. Have you heard that? I have heard that. 
Seems a little bit odd. Uh, are you familiar with like what they said the story is going to be? No, I'm not that interested. Neither I'll am I, probably frankly. watch it when it comes out, but you know, this is this is the gold standard for me, you know. I don't need more clueless content in my life, but if it turns out to be good, great. I hope Heckerling's getting paid. I'm sure she is. Uh, I hope it's a lot. You know, like I just want her to make money and hopefully make more stuff. I don't think that she is actively involved in this project, which I think is a mistake on the Peacock Network's end. But yeah, I mean, whatever. She did uh, last year produce a musical version on Broadway or off Broadway somewhere, Broadway adjacent. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. I remember like the the posters and stuff, but I didn't check Mm -hmm. that out. In regards to, I just pulled it up, the reboot, the best I could compare it to were what people are saying. It's it's somewhat like, you know, how there was like a Sabrina the Teenage Witch show and like a comic. And then there was like a Sabrina mm-hmm. on Netflix that was like dark and different. Um, yeah. That's what this is going to be. And Interesting. Dark, clueless. I applaud a lot of their choices. I just don't like it because I wish they picked an original subject yeah. matter because it's so, so Dion's the main character. All right. Apparently, I mean, I can get behind that. I love Dion. Apparently, I think she's sh- one of the best characters in the movie. Oh, for sure. But apparently Cher's missing or something like and there's like a mystery element. Oh, OK. You got my attention now. I watched every season of Pretty Little Liars. <laughs> so maybe you would enjoy this. Let's see. It says the new Clueless is described as a baby pink and bisexual blue tinted tiny sunglass right. wearing oat milk latte Adderall fueled look at what happens when a high school queen bee share disappears and her lifelong number two Dion steps into shares vacant Air Jordans. Fascinating. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm on. I'm... I, I never would have thought that that's the direction they would take it. Everything there to me reads something that I'd be interested in, to be honest with you. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> Same. I just don't know. If it needs to be part of the clueless extended universe. Yeah, but we'll see. Maybe they'll do a great job and, yep. and, and it'll be great. Uh, who yeah, knows? I mean, I thought the new Sabrina series on Netflix was pretty good. I, I, for some reason, couldn't get into it, even though it was like on paper should be really up my alley. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. But yeah, I, I like anytime they're like rebooting, you know, some old intellectual property just so that they don't have to gamble on something entirely original is a bummer, I think. Yeah. Just because, like, it would be one thing if we lived in a world where there was, like, equal amounts of those two things, but there's not, you know. And um, so much content these days has to be somehow tied to an existing franchise to get any sort of funding or marketing push behind it. Yeah, because before I think they used to be like, so it's like Clueless, but right. and they say the other thing, and now they just says it is clueless. But right. the main character is blah 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 from the creators yeah. of Clueless. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so I don't remember the last time you were on the show, but or if we had these special end of episode questions. So I'm gonna assume you don't remember them, or we didn't have them. So here goes. First one that we ask every week is the Wooderson Award. And named after Matthew McConaughey's character in Dazed and Confused. Uh, Originally, he was only supposed to be in like one scene, but director Richard Linklater loved him so much that he added him to more and more scenes of the film. So the question... All right, all right, all right. Exactly. And the question is that. Let's say you're Amy Heckerling and you're directing Clueless or, or, you know, 
you know everything about Clueless, so I don't need to go into it too much. But <laughs> is there a character here who you would have been like, I want to see more of this story. Let's bring out this storyline mm. a little bit more. Um, I think what we talked about before with Christian exploring his sexuality or like his understanding of it. Well, I don't know. With a movie like this, it's so hard because it's 100% Cher's perspective. So it's hard to draw out uh, another character, more of a character storyline when it's like all through hers. But like, I would have been interested to see that. I also, I really like the character of Summer. She is like part of their extended friend group and she pops up here and there, but we don't get to... We don't get much from her, and I would have liked to see more. Oh yeah, I'm like I just looked her up. I'm like, yeah, that girl. That's that's a good one too. So we'll we'll say Christian and Summer for this one. Mm-hmm. Okay, Long Duck Dong Award and Sixteen Candles. There was a famously offensive character named Long Duck Dong. The movie would probably be better if this character was deleted. So my question is, it doesn't have to be because of um, how it looks in a twenty. Offensive yeah, reasons. Yeah, it doesn't have to be offensive reasons. But is there a character here who you would have just taken out uh, just to, I don't know, for whatever reason? I could absolutely do without Elton. Like, I know that he plays, like, a major part in the story, even though he himself doesn't necessarily play a huge role in the movie. Like, obviously, he's the object of a certain amount of scheming in this movie. Uh, But I think he sucks, and I could do without him. I'm on board with that. Okay, next award. Uh, now, this is going to be weird for this one because, well, I'll explain it. It's Cameron Fry Award, and it's really because Alan Ruck was 29 when he played Cameron in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Mm-hmm. It's a little too old for a high schooler. But Stacey Dash is also 29 here, but I mean, but you would never, but you would know. never guess. Yeah. So the question isn't so much the actual age. The question is, did anyone here look like whoa? That person's not in high school. I don't know. She did such a good job of like casting people. I guess maybe Amber, just because she seems so put together. <laughs> Although I definitely went to high school with people who were really, really put together. Yeah, and, we'll like we'll just put Amber. Just carried themselves in a very adult kind of way like i could see amber being like my aunt now you know <laughs> like mm-hmm. but yeah we'll just like make a stretch and put her but i think uh amy heckling does a really good job here you and i both can name movies probably where someone was in high school who looked like they were 40 you know so yeah <laughs> not really a big thing here okay so rotten tomatoes i was shocked not a high score on this one for both areas. Oh, I don't want to say high score, but not as high as I thought it would be. 82% by the critics, 76% by the audience. But What? Yeah. Fuck. I mean, the critics I get, you know, because that is all stuff that comes out really like when the movie first comes out. And people, I think, given the marketing push around it and the... If you just look at its content on its face and don't actually pay attention, it can seem very vapid and stuff. So I could see critics not liking this, but I'm surprised that the audience score would be that low because it's obviously a perfect movie. (laughs) So, you know, maybe I don't even need to bother to ask that question, but formalities are formalities here at High School Slumber Party. Um, We grade now on an A plus to F scale, a good old report card grade. So Kara... What grade will you assign Clueless? A plus, baby. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely one of the best high school films. I mean, it's, you said it's your favorite film. I'm giving it an A plus as well. Very great movie, you know, definitely in the A to A plus range. But just, I think I would have said A, which is a great score. 
uh, on my first of the three rewatches, but just Mm. really spending time entertaining myself by watching it, it gets that A plus for me. And it only gets better. Like the more, that's the thing about this movie, the more you watch it, the better it gets. So 24% of you who I guess weren't a big fan of Clueless, watch it again. That's almost a quarter of people. (laughs) Yeah, if you have- One in four people. Yeah, if you wow. if you had a party or you you invited four of your friends over, that's saying that one of them is going to watch Clueless with you and not like it. <laughs> too much, too much. Can't trust anyone these days. So I've had this question since OG episodes. What does your Clueless sleeping bag look like? And this is one I've been waiting to hear because so many choices for this one. So many choices. Oh, my God. What direction do I even want to go in? <laughs> you know, on the one hand, I'm like... That big statement piece, something like Marvin the Martian, uh, or <laughs> or the Yellow Plaid, it seems like an obvious choice. Well, what, whatever mine will look like, it's going to have the Yellow Plaid lining on the inside. Yeah. Oh, ooh, that's a good good call. Um, no, it would be the sleeping bag version of the jacket that Cher wears to the Val party. So it would be like red brocade with the top edge of it all black feathers. Ooh, that's really good. I like that. And so I think I'm just going to do the obvious, do the classic, but my sleeping bag is going to have one of the plaids on the outside and one of the plaids on the inside, and it's reversible for whichever plaid you want. Oh, nice. Good call. (laughs) Yours is better, but yeah, I mean, look, if you're going to have... A line of clueless sleeping bags. Count me in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a merch idea. A line of high school slumber party themed sleeping bags. Yeah, I have to to do that. It's been suggested to me since it's my question every day. Mm. (laughs) But, oh, God. Sleeping bags take up a lot of room, even like the ones that, they do. that like you can condense. They still take up a lot of room. Um, and I live yeah. in an apartment. But one day when I don't, maybe I'll like make a bunch because just maybe like the top films will ha- all have their sleeping bag. One can dream. So this has become my favorite weekly question. My next question, Kara, you and I are in this blockbuster that defies logic, time and space. We know we're going to have a clueless slumber party together. We're at the register. We're almost at the register. We see a sign. It says, rent two movies, get one free. I say, Kara, go to the back, get two movies. We're making this an all-nighter. We already have Clueless in our hand. What two other movies are we watching on this slumber party? First of all, I just want to take a moment to smell the blockbuster. (laughs) Ah, that weird plastic smell I miss so much. Um, Never forget that smell, huh, right? (laughs) No, I mean, anytime anyone ever mentions a video store, like, instantly can smell it in my brain. I miss video stores so much. Uh, hmm. So hard to say. Because, <laughs> again, this is, like, a, a, a thing that I could go in so many different directions with. Like, do I want to also rent Jawbreaker and do Clueless and Bizarro Clueless? And if so, what would be the third pick? Do I want to go uh, Amy Heckerling portfolio and and maybe uh, Look Who's Talking and a Vamps? Uh, do I want to go in an Alicia Silverstone direction and recommend Blast from the Past and also Vamps? So Vamps is definitely going to be one of them. <laughs> 
Yeah. Okay. Clueless, <laughs> Jawbreaker, and Vamps. I like it. I mean, it all it works in multiple directions. So mm-hmm. awesome. That sounds like it's going to be a fun slumber party. I mean, I don't always ask this question, but I'm, I'll complicate your life a little bit. What order are we watching them in? Oh, definitely Clueless, Jawbreaker, and Vamps. Okay. Cool. That works for me. Yeah. So, Kara, you are a fixture on the Cage Club podcast network, but of course, you know, these days... Like a rusty old faucet. <laughs> Where can people follow you? Uh, what's the status of Wistful Thinking? Uh, tell tell the slumbers what's going on in <sighs> your life. Oh, well, that's a loaded question, but Wistful Thinking is currently on hiatus because... A lot of reasons, mostly because my brain is broken and it's hard for me to watch movies and talk about them. Um, I made an exception, obviously, for this one because I figured I would not have to watch it if I couldn't. (laughs) I could (laughs) still talk about it. And also, we find it difficult to focus on nostalgia given the current state of things. It just, as much as we want to tune out, it's it just felt weird and wrong. Um, so that's Wistful Thinking currently on hiatus. However, we have a ton of uh, back episodes that you can go back and listen to, including Clueless, uh, plenty of which Brian has also been on, including our uh, huge Grease crossover Ooh, episode. That was a legendary, legendary crossover. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I'm just keeping a low profile. Don't follow me anywhere. <laughs> but... Um, if there is one thing that I can endorse, it's getting your flu shot. Please do that. Oh, Even... whoa, whoa, whoa. you you set it up but right before we recorded. You had a great idea what to call this segment. Set us up. Oh yeah. Um. Well, my foot hurts. Can I go to the nurse? Uh... Do, do, do you want that to be your official title on high school slumber party? <laughs> what school nurse? Yeah. Why not? Sure. Um, nice. That's okay. Yeah. So consider this not... our first segment. I'm not actually a nurse but i spent a lot of time there uh, <laughs> you have a lot of nursing experience in in time spent sense and this is a fictional world i don't really run a bizarro slumber party slash high school so true true okay sure <laughs> you, school nurse it is you are a school nurse and consider this our first school nurse session with kara so go um yeah so uh your flu shot always very important because it can help you not get the flu um, or if you do have a much milder case and transmit it to fewer people Um, so you know any year getting your flu shot is a good and important idea not just for yourself but for the vulnerable people who live among you in this world and there are a lot of us um but i don't know if you know uh we're also in the middle of a global pandemic of covid and uh we have not done a great job of getting that under control here in the united states even though in new york we're blessedly in a much better position than we were several months ago with schools reopening and businesses reopening and people deciding apparently that it's over um, based on their behavior. We're expecting to see a huge spike in cases this fall. So getting the flu can actually leave you open to secondary infections. And when people die of the flu, that's usually why it's because they got pneumonia or something else. Um, this year might be COVID. So 
The other thing about getting your flu shot is that it will give you some peace of mind if you do start exhibiting symptoms. You don't have to necessarily be like, oh my God, do I have the flu? Do I have this? Do I have that? Although I think a lot of us are doing that every day anyway, every time we sneeze. Um, Yeah, so even if you usually wouldn't get a flu shot this year, I'm just really asking people to to do it, Um, you know, it's it's the same reason that we wear masks. It's, yes, to protect ourselves, but more importantly, to protect other people who might be more vulnerable than us. And I'm actually one of those people, so do it for me, would you? The old, Do it for the old school nurse over here. <laughs> well, definitely appreciate that. I was one of those people who, like, never got a flu shot. I will be getting one this year for sure. You know, it's been an eye-opening year to say the least for a lot of reasons but i will definitely heed your words and get that flu shot i mean i I live with a healthcare worker i live with a type 1 diabetic it's uber important for me it should have always been important for me but i'm an idiot and now I, i feel like i'm maybe less of an idiot because i will be getting my flu shot great good to hear it folks if you do get your flu shot you can tweet me and send me a picture uh over twitter or instagram and let me know i would love to hear it Or if you have questions about the flu shot and why you should get it, you can reach out to me at BIMPS, B-I-M-P-S-E. Leave me alone otherwise. (laughs) Well, Kara, this was an absolute pleasure. Always love hearing your clueless takes. Wait, that sounds like your takes are clueless. You know what I mean. (laughs) Your takes on the film, (laughs) clueless. and uh... I actually have several clues. (laughs) Yes. So looking forward to having you again on High School Slumber Party. But of course, when... You're in the mood to do it. I doubt that, you know, you're in the mood to talk war games anytime soon, but... (laughs) Oh, I'm always in the mood to talk about war games. I love war games so much. Well, in that case, we'll we'll get you on (laughs) soon enough. But once again, thank you so much, Kara, for taking the time. And, uh, you know, thank you for the good words on getting that flu shot. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for getting a flu shot. You heard Kara. Get your flu shot. It's super, super important. I'm going to be getting one for the first time ever this year, and I'm going to be tagging her. I want you to do the same. Tag her on Twitter, and please just let her know when you get the flu shot, because we need it more than ever. We all need to get our flu shots here. Super, super important. And we'll probably have her on again if she'll come on to remind us of the flu shot thing, because we talk, we talk, we talk, but people forget And there's no room for forgetting this year, that's for sure. And also, you know, on a maybe sunnier note, thank you, Kara, for coming on our episode on Clueless. This was awesome. I loved listening back to it and hearing it. And uh, just what an iconic movie. Iconic film, Clueless. I mean, you don't need me to tell you that. But if you don't enjoy Clueless, I get it. It's not for you. But have a little heart. Open up your mind. Clueless is great. Enough said, right? And again, so great having Kara on again after so long. Someone on Instagram the other day, and I think I already mentioned this, said something along the lines of, oh, you only host a podcast because you're uncool, and that's how you get friends. Well, that's not all true. I have a lot of friends in real life. They're wonderful people. Maybe too many friends. No, I'm kidding. No, but I have a lot of friends. I I love my friends. You've heard my friends. They've come on here. They've been friends longer than I've had this podcast. But it's not 100% true because I've met so many great people through this podcast. So many people I love to talk to. So yeah, maybe it is partially true. Sorry if I like meeting new friends who like these kind of films and like talking about them. And I don't know, it's fun building those kind of relationships. And Kara's one of them. And you know, 
It's a pleasure having Kara on. It's awesome having Kara on. I hope we can have her on many, many, many more times in the history of this show. So fuck that guy, and thank you once again, Kara, for coming on. You're awesome. So homework for next week. And yes, we have homework. And that's for Monday's episode. And it's a new movie. So you're going to have to rent it. I think it's like six bucks. Don't worry. It's a movie about chess. It's a movie about high school. It's a movie with one of my favorite actors of all time. The movie is Critical Thinking. We got our own hot streak here in Miami. It's going to hit 95. We ain't got no milk. Ain't getting none neither. Hey, yo! Yo, yo! Now, people, this is going to be very basic for some of you. What you've got is 64 squares, 32 pieces. It doesn't matter how rich or poor you are, what Ivy League school you may go, may not go to, because chess is the great equalizer. We got a tournament coming up in a couple days. So we need to start really considering if we're serious about what we're doing here or not. Oh. Oh. Lady on the mic, yep. I get tight. Don't oh. mess with me, cause chess is life. The minute that you lose, you won't be losing. There's Hagemar. Oh. The board is fine spending $400 on footballs, but not with sending kids on a road trip to improve their minds. You can have them play marbles for all I care. Just keep the bodies in the seats. You're underestimating me, okay? And more importantly, them. Kids like this from places like Dade County don't ever make it to team regionals. And it shouldn't be too hard for them to swallow. Give up on them, let their parents give up on them, let the whole system give up on them. But you know what? I ain't, okay? This moment right here is the happiest I've ever been in my life. So you come in here bragging because you want a trophy. Play to win! These kids have real potential. My mommy's telling me, make something of myself. Yes, That's what I'm gonna do. Watch out, world, we coming for you. All four of us. Yo, we can be something special. Just remember, your mind can be your weapon. From the streets, we will summon you. Critical Thinking. So it stars John Leguizamo. He's actually the director. He's one of my favorite actors of all time. Queens boy, Mets fan. Can't wait to watch this movie and can't wait to talk about it. With my good friend John Harden. Yes, John Harden is our guest. Not only is he a good friend of mine, not only is he a former high school slumber party guest here, not only is he an actor, he is also a great chess player and a chess teacher. So the perfect guest for this film. I can't wait. Tune in for that on Monday. We got a lot of fun John Leguizamo talk, I'm sure. We have a lot of fun chess talk, I'm sure. Remember, tune in here, wherever you're listening, and of course at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me, the flagship for all high school slumber party programming. Speaking of Cage Club and cageclub.me, I want to correct something I said before the break. I didn't technically meet Kara through this specific podcast, but through this podcast network, as she was on PSI Love Hoffman before that. Even still, same difference. Love meeting people through podcasting. It's so fun. And Honestly, if you guys ever want to be on this podcast, I'm willing to listen to see what you have to offer. I like making new friends here. Like I said, just 
drop me a line, highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com or wherever on social media. Let's just chat about high school movies anyway, whether it's on air or off air, whatever. The door is open for you, and I want to give you a little piece of advice, by the way. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. I feel like I flubbed that. Did I? I don't know. But I'll say it again in case you didn't hear it. It's from the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Ever heard of it? Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. So I will leave you it today as we hit the hay. <sighs> Go to bed. Jill Sobley? Jill Sobley? Is that her name? God, if you're a Jill Sobel or Jill Sobley fan, I apologize. Let me know how to pronounce this. But Jill Sobley, I know the song well because it's in Clueless. It is called Supermodel. Later, dudes. It's over. Go home. Go.